this turned on tonight. Romans chapter 8, 24. Am I on back there, Brother Wayne? Okay, good. We are. Uh, we're going to run through this. Uh, when, he, when he said that about Linda and math, that reminded me of our daughter, our third daughter. She is our third, right? Heather. Uh, Heather is so amazing. Uh, such a sweet girl, writer, all that kind of stuff. But she's absolutely clueless in math. I thought I was going to lose my hair, uh, and I did. Uh, trying to help her in, the, in grade school, high school, junior high, high school, I, I really was just going to absolutely lose my mind uh, trying to help her because she just could not grasp it. Fractions, you could just forget it. I cut up so many pies and showed them to her, and she still just couldn't get it. She would sometimes just stare at me and start crying. Uh, but uh, when she got ready to get married, Dennis was uh, saying, he was, he was talking to me, and he said, well, I'm really, you know, I'm excited to be marrying Heather. I'm so th- I said, look, she's going to be a great wife. Just do me one favor. When you send her to the grocery store, give her a calculator <laughs> because that's her only hope. She, uh, she won't even know if they give her the right change. You know, I mean, she really won't. Uh, she, God bless that little blonde. All right. Romans 8, uh, verse 24, chapter 8, verse 24, if you look at it, it says, for, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read through this, and rather than taking the time to read through the whole passage, I'm going to try to get down to about verse 31 or 32. Uh, I'll just start right there, and I'll just kind of take the verses as they come, and, and I think it'll make a little bit of sense to you. But this word hope, when you, when you look at that verse that we just read, it says this, this word hope is a very strong and absolute word. Uh, it's, it's, it's often defined, actually, it's often defined in the Bible as the word faith. Uh, it, it, they're used uh, almost interchangeably. It's, it's a confidence. It's not a, we use the word hope so much like, you know, we say, well, I hope so. No, that's not, that's not the kind of hope. That's not, God doesn't use it that way. God says this is, you can have confidence in this. This is a hope that is a for sure. The reason, listen, the reason that it's called hope is because we are trusting in someone we've never physically seen. True hope must be a faith that believes when it does not see, but yet it still believes. And, and God uses this term hope when he's talking to us and he's saying, this is what you have when you haven't seen it. This is what you have when you, you can't visualize it. Uh, it. It's like God talks about heaven as a, a hope for us because we've not seen heaven. But God says, but it's as real as if you've ever been there. And, and this word hope is that, that intense and that real. If we could see heaven, if we could see Jesus, God would not use the word hope. You know, the, the truth is, if God had some kind of little window and, you know, once a month he opened it up and let us look up and see heaven and get a little encouragement and say, yeah, there it is. Okay, we're going to keep working toward it. Uh, he wouldn't use the word hope. But because it's something we cannot see, physically see, he uses this word hope. God would not use this word hope, but hope is that absolute confidence that faith gives in that which we cannot see. And that's what it, what it is. It's a hope is that absolute confidence that we have in that which we cannot see. And that leads us to verse 25. Verse 25 then says, but if we hope for that we see not, 
then do we with patience wait for it? Uh, it, it please, it, but this is so good. But if we hope or have confidence in that which we cannot see, that confidence gives us the patience or the ability to cheerfully endure whatever we got to face until we get there. This, this hope is so incredible that it is, it's how we get through what we have to get through in this life. Uh, we've got a long list of prayer requests. And, you know, there's a lot of people suffering. There's a lot of people going through issues. A lot of, and, and how do you get through that? You got hope. You got the blessed hope. You got hope. And, and, and it, that means that you can face everything that comes, comes to you. This hope brings us through the, listen, there's no statement here, brings us through the greatest trials of life where here's, here's the whole thing. Our eyes are on the prize, not on the trial. And we see every trial we go through as a Christian, when God's saying, if you really have that hope in you, he said, what you come, you come to that trial, you're looking past that trial. It's like you're, it's, it's like when I, when I teach preaching at the, at the college for years, uh, some, of the, some of the boys, they could not look at the crowd, so I'd have to teach them, just look over the crowd. Just don't even look at their faces. Look over the crowd for a while. Just preach to the back wall back there. Uh, preach to the clock, you know, just, but, but just go, just look over it. You know, th- th- it, we have to do that in the trials of life. Uh, sometimes they can get so wearisome, and if we focus on them, they will just pull us down. But we got to look past them, look past that trial. What are we looking at? Our hope. Our hope. Uh, we, were, we, were, we took a little walk last night, and, uh, and, and we were walking and kind of talking a little bit, and, and uh, Joe Beth got to the point. She said, he, she just, while we were walking, she said, oh, she said, they, uh, you know, this world gets so wearisome. She said, even so come, Lord Jesus. You know what she's doing? Uh, all this stuff that just seems to be just beating you to death in the world and the news and all the things that goes on, you just have to stop and look past that. Look past at the hope that we have. And so uh, that, and then we go to verse 26. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we all, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, now this, is, this is one of those really wonderful verses that, that should just inspire us, it just uplift us, encourage us. For this, this verse reveals how good God really is. To me, when you read this verse, this, this ought to just fill your heart how good God really is. He says that our hope should enable us to endure whatever comes into our lives but, listen to this, but he also gives us the Spirit of God to help us in our infirmities. You, you, you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, your hope ought to get you past these infirmities. But he said, guess what? Guess what? I won't, it's not just you looking, having hope and looking that's going to get you past it. I'll even give the Spirit of God to get you past it. I'll give the Spirit of God to give you pain. He says, the Spirit of God to help us in our infirmities, the weaknesses of our body and soul. We are weak and frail humanity, but the Spirit strives together with us to help us with our weaknesses. Isn't that encouraging? We're not in this thing alone. We're not in this battle alone. I mean, when you get weary, did you know the Spirit can lift you up? When you get down, he can get you up. When you get depressed, you know what? He can encourage you. 
the Spirit of God is there and God has given them to us. God knows that in our weakness and our humanity, we don't even know what to pray for. And that's what this verse, so much, this verse, of course, it says so many things, but one of the things it's saying is saying in our weakness, <clears throat> in our trials of life, in our humanity, we really don't even know what to pray. And not only what to pray, we don't know how to pray. And so, so often, listen, so often in a trial of life, we pray for deliverance from the trial. But it just may be that the Spirit knows it's not deliverance we need, but strength to endure. You know, my daughter the other day, and, and uh, I, you know, I, she was speaking, and, and, um, and it was on the, the, I don't know, the internet. And so I, you know, I listened to it. Both of them were speaking, but I listened to both of them. But one of them, she was, she was talking about a trial, and it was such a good illustration. And she had, you know, PowerPoint, different things up there to, to talk about it. But, but, she's, but she made this comment, and it just went so well with what God's teaching here in Romans. She's, she was teaching the illustration that all of us have a cross to bear. And, but here's our problem. So often we keep asking God to make our cross go away or make our cross lighter to make our cross smaller, to change our cross and make it better. And she said, here's what, what the problem is, though. God gave us that cross that we bear. He lets us have it. Because one day we're coming to a, a great chasm that we're going to have to cross. And when we need to get to the other side, if we've carried the cross that he gave us, it's large enough to fall right across that and form a bridge. He said, but, if you, but she said, but if you refuse that cross and you just keep saying, God, I need a lighter cross, I need a smaller cross, I need you to ease up on me, God, you'll get to that thing that God wanted you to do and God wanted you to cross and it's not strong enough, it's not big enough, it's not great enough to cross it. I thought, man, that is, that is really incredible. And I, and I thought, if I never thought anybody else watched it, I would have preached it as a sermon, so... But so often we want to be delivered from the trial. But the Spirit knows that we don't need to be delivered. He may know that this is exactly what we need to get us where He wants us to be. The Spirit of God intercedes for us speaking what we know not to speak. Well, we, just, we don't know what to say. In fact, the Spirit speaks to the Father in a way we can't speak. The wisdom, the pathos, the empathy, the sincerity is beyond anything that we in our human voice could dare to speak if we were capable, which we are not. You understand that, and I, I believe this, and I believe this the way that when he uses the words groaning, and what, he's, what, he's, what God's talking about is it's not just that he says things you know, we don't know what we need, so he says these things. No, I think that he's saying it in such a way that the Spirit is, is almost, <clears throat> when, you, when you, I picture Jesus when, when they're talking about Lazarus and, and he's dead, and, and it simply says, Jesus wept. I believe Jesus groaned in his spirit. I believe he wept. At the, and I believe the Spirit of God groans to God. I believe the Spirit of God speaks to God with pathos and with 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 that sincerity that we just can't have. You know, when the Spirit of God talks to God, He's, not, he, he's never uh, distracted by any other thoughts. 
Anybody ever been praying and you found yourself in some other world? Yeah, I, I have. It's called the land of the Sandman. Um, man, I, you know, you're praying and you go to sleep. You're praying and, and all of a sudden you're on some issue, some crisis, some problem, and you're thinking, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I don't even know how I got there. I don't know how that happened. Do you know that when the Spirit talks to God, that never happens? It's just amazing how good God is uh, the, <clears throat> that God would do this for us. Now look at verse 27. Verse 27. It says, And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, who is it that knows our hearts? God, amen. And so that he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is such an amazing, amazing word. This is another wonderful verse where we see how protective and loving our Father is to us as children. You see, the Father is he that searches the hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So he said the, the, the Father searches your heart. He doesn't just look on your heart. He searches your heart. And so, if you see it again, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth, what is the mind of the Spirit? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows our heart. Listen to this. God knows our heart, and He knows the mind of the intent of the Spirit. And this is amazing, but... Why does he know the mind of the Spirit who is interceding for us? Because the Spirit only intercedes for us according to the will of God. So it's almost a circle, but you know that, that did y'all know that God is God? Did you know that the Holy Spirit is God? And so you got God searching the hearts. You got the Spirit of God that's going to speak for us to God about what's going on in our heart, and, and the Spirit of God is going to know exactly what to say to God because He's God, and He knows exactly what He's saying because He's God. This is incredible. God is so amazing. He's, he's worked this out so, so well for us. God is saying, I'm interceding for you, and I'm the one answering the intercession. That's really what he's saying. God is interceding for us, and God is answering the intercession. So don't you think they understand each other? Now, since I'm God, he says, and the Holy Spirit is God, what he asks, I already agree with. And that's what's amazing, because he asks according to the will of God. And then you get to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
And so much in this verse, but at first it says, we know. Well, Howells used to have a song, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but the first part of it, he, he did off of that verse, but it's, we know, we don't think, but we know. You know, that's, this is an absolute statement. We know. We don't think, but we know. And all, not some, but all. All things work together. We know that all things. So it's not some, but all. Work means they join together for good, and that's our good and God's good, God's good and our good. The key to this verse, though, is that points one through four apply when we love God. You see, he says we know it all and work for good, but if you love God. And that's kind of the part that gets a little bit left out of it. It's a very important ingredient to love God. And loving God means loving uh, others. Loving God means uh, being obedient to God. Loving God means serving God. Loving God has a lot involved in that. But the call, it says the call according to his purpose, called to the gospel of Christ according to his demonstration or revealing of himself through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, this, this is to the saved person. This promise is to the saved person, but not just to the saved person. It's to the person that is saved and loves God. And we've got a lot of people that are saved but don't love God, and they, and they think, okay, well, all this is going to work out okay. Well, not necessarily, because he works it together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. The word purpose here has a connection to the showbread in the temple. Now, this is kind of a unique illustration, but Jesus came as the bread of life, and he showed himself that, that bread which was broken for us. Now, get this now. The, the word purpose here, according to his purpose, it's essential that in order to be a recipient of this great promise that we are saved, but the verse has the additional qualifier requirement that we must love God. Now, we remember love is not a statement or a word. It's an action. It's a, it's, in our lives, it must be active and proactive. Love must be something that's active in our lives. So God says when we go through trial, we can come to him in hope, and this hope maketh not a shame. And we also have the Spirit of God to speak for us and ask God for what we really need. But also God promises that all that we go through, he will make work together for good, our good, and God's good if we love God, if we're saved and we love God. So <clears throat> what God's wanting us to do and what he's trying to encourage us through this passage up to this point, he's wanting us to hold on during the trials. He's wanting us to look past the trials. He's wanting us to look to the Holy Spirit to just, well, you, you've been at that point probably, and I, you know, I hope that you never have to, but if you've never have, but if you've ever been at that point where you've been in such a crisis, such a heartbroken condition, uh, that I, the way I phrase it, you can't pray. You've been in such a, a point where you can cry, you can try to talk, but you can't. And you don't even know what to say. And the truth is, like the spirit groans, that's what you do. You just groan. And when you're at that, that spot, do you understand that, that God already has the Holy Spirit who right at that moment is speaking for you? The truth is, 
I feel it's like this. God says the Holy Spirit has kind of got his arm around your shoulder as you're on your knees and weeping and can't speak. He's got his arm around your shoulder and he's saying to the Father, Father, here's what he wants to say to you. Here's what he's trying to say to you. Here's what's in, the, in his heart of hearts right now. And the Holy Spirit tells the Lord, tells the Father that. And so it, it's, it's a very important thing. So God's trying to, in these verses right up to this point, he's trying to get us encouraged. Encouraged that no matter what we go through, God is there. He's there to help us as we look past it. He's there to help us as the Spirit uh, prays for us and guides us. He's there to uh, give us promises, the, the, Romans 8, 28, to, to say that he, I'll work this all out. I'm going to work it together for good. Whatever you're going through, if you'll keep depending on me, if you'll keep loving me, if you're my child and you, and you love me, I, guess what? You know, if you'll just keep turning this over to me, I promise you I'll take care of it. And so that's where he brings us up to this, this point. And it's really not a <clears throat> shift of gears, but because all of this has a lot of uh, eternal security in it. But you get to the next verse, and, and of course, uh, it's almost, boy, I almost really don't have time to, to, to get into this like I'd like to. But in verse 29 and 29 and 30 and 31, we're going to see this is really about eternal security. And people get this all confused. But it says, for whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For a lot of people, this is a scary verse. You know, you say, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And it's just like, oh, yep, there we go. And we've got a lot of our fundamental people, a lot of our younger Christians that are they're heading this way, you know, just really into the Calvinism, really into predestination. And basically because they're into reading everybody out there that really is not soul winners and they've got to have a reason why they're not because you really don't need to be if you're, if you're in predestination. Now, some of them will claim, well, we're still soul winners because God commanded us to. And, and God bless them if they really are, but they're not fervent soul winners. They never are because, uh, you know, God commanded you to do a whole lot of other things too that you're not doing. And so, but here's what would happen. So we look and we say, yep. There it is. God created some people for heaven and some for hell. We are predestined to one or the other. But remember this, and I tried to do this many times, and I may get through this, but please remember that God thinks on a vastly different plane than we do or can, for that matter. And this is where we get so messed up, and so many of these guys are so intellectual, and this is where their problem. They're intellectual, so they actually think they're intelligent enough to understand God. But it is possible, listen to this, it is possible for a God who can do all things. Remember, he can, do all th- he can work all things together for good. Now, God who can do all things to make a human being and give him free will to choose his destiny. And listen, yet God being God already knows the choice he will make. He can still do that. Again, if we think too long on this, it will become circular in our minds but always understand that we see everything from a limited perspective with a finite mind. 
But God sees from an unlimited perspective with an infinite mind. And so we, we'll never understand it. But so he can do, listen to this, he can do what does not make sense to us. He can grasp what, what, what we can't grasp. God can just understand and do what we just can't understand. And we can't, we can't even understand how he can do it. But he can still do it and he can still understand it. Now, all those that knew that God knew would accept him, he, this is what this first part of the state, this first part's really easy. All, all those that God knew would accept him, he predestinated them not to heaven and hell. He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, the truth is, is that it's why it's so important that when we get saved, we, we, we grow in grace because that's what God predestined us to do. And to eventually be fully and completely in the image of his son. Now, remember, one day we will be like him, for we will, we will see him as he is. But God says it's already done in his mind. Each of us who have trusted Christ in the mind of God have already been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be a child of God, join heir with Christ. It's done, it's a, it, and this is why it's, it's such eternal security, because what he's saying here is, this is a done deal already. It's already completed. This is eternal security. A man, listen to this, man does not choose life or death because it is foreknown, but it is foreknown because he will choose it. Did you get what I just said? Anybody get what I just said? A man does not choose life or death because it's foreknown. It's not because God already knew it, so now you've got to choose it. No, it is foreknown because he will choose it. God said, somehow God says, I created you. Okay, go ahead and make a decision. I knew you'd make that decision. I can't comprehend that, that my brain will circle in circles, but God can do what I can't do. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, truth, truthfully, they always use the previous verse to get people all messed up on predestination, and I'll be honest with you, if you're not careful, this is the tougher verse to deal with. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, it sounds like the predestination comes before you know, before the verse says, predestinated to be conformed to his image. Now he says, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. The calling, which says calling by definition, really is, is that uh, appeal to salvation. Now look, but I don't want you to let this verse shake you. This is simply the procedure being outlined of how this process works. That's all he's doing here. He's outlining a procedure. This person is called or presented the gospel. The person that receives, what he's saying is, that person that is called and receives the gospel, uh, that person is justified. This is the doctrine of justification, just as though we'd never sinned. Remember talking about that? The doctrine of justification because Jesus has taken our place. This person who accepts the call is justified. God has predestined him to be glorified, for our glorification is not complete at this moment, but it is just as sure as though it has already happened. So now realize that this procedure does not eliminate, here's the whole thing, this procedure does not eliminate the call 
from being uh, given to others that do not receive it. And if, you, if, you, if this will make any sense to you, he says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Now, what he's saying is, he called, or just say like this, if these three men, are, God knows they're all going to accept Christ, but he knows I'm not. This verse is not eliminating the fact that all of us are called. It's not eliminating that fact. It's simply stating that all these who were called, they are predestinate. God says, I knew that. I knew they were going to accept that. And now, I, since they've accepted that, they're justified. And since they are justified, they're going to be glorified. And right, matter of fact, in, the mind, in my mind, they're already glorified. That's eternal security. Because in God's mind... You're already in heaven glorified with him. You understand? I mean, it's that done of deal. God says it's already settled, already predestinated, already accomplished. God hadn't had, you understand something? We don't understand God's mind. He's also not limited by time. He doesn't have time. No, that didn't sound right. He's got plenty of time. Now, the person that is called or presented the gospel, the person that receives that is justified. This is, and the, the person who accepts the call and is justified, God is predestined to be glorified for our glorification is not complete at this moment. But now realize that this procedure does not eliminate the call from being given to others that do not receive it, therefore are not justified or glorified. This is simply a description of those that will receive and God knows who uh, those are who will accept the call, and he knows who will also, since they accepted the call, are also justified and glorified. And I don't have enough time to go through it. But the next verse, if you want to read it, he says, what shall we then say to these things? Think about that. Notice what he's saying. We always get on, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? But the first thing he says, what shall we say to these things? What things? Well, it's all these things we've just been talking about. This eternal security we've been talking about that we have through God's predestination. Uh, we have this incredibly eternal security. All these things we've been talking about. He says, now, what shall we say to these things? And this is such a wonderful promise. If God be for us, who can be against it? If God's already settled it all for these men, in the mind of God, there are, I mean, in, my, in God's mind, they're already glorified because what God has put in motion has to happen. And so he says, if he's for you, who can be against you? This is eternal security. That means I don't care what you do. I don't care what somebody tries to do to you or convince you of. I can convince you to become a Mormon. So watch out, Miss Peggy. He's going to get another wife. But, uh, but listen, I can convince y'all, but listen, God says, you still can't stop what I've already predestined. You can't stop it. And I have so much more to say on that, but I don't have time to say it because time's up. Uh, Brother Bob, with you, it closes us in prayer.